0: Welcome to the how to be awesome at your job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning and money with your host, Pete Makaitis. Okay, well, I think you're gonna have some fun with our next guest, Dan Rust. If you've ever said, oh, I hate politics or competitive personalities or stuff, in that vein, Dan Russ really kind of reframes it and and makes it fun. So you're going to walk away with some great takeaways, including one, when internal competitiveness can really be positive for an organization. Two, a couple of secret tips for crushing your next yearly performance review, and three, the massive benefits of bringing just a little bit more energy to work each day. And if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the things linked, you can find that at awesomeatyourjob.com slash two 25 And if you want it faster, in an email you can read two minutes or less, sign up for the gold nugget email list over there at awesomeatyourjob.com. So- a bit about Dan. Dan Rust is the founder of Frontline Learning, an international publisher of corporate trading resources. His award-winning keynote speeches and workshops focus on employee engagement, productivity, and career management. He lives in Minneapolis and is the author of Workplace Poker, Are You Playing the Game or Just Getting Played? Here's Dan. Dan, thanks so much for appearing on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It's great Pete I'm happy to be here. Well I really enjoyed uh, your your Twitter uh, bio mini bio that you are a, a workplace provocateur. Can you tell us what exactly does that mean?
1: Well I guess in the in the past I've I've always been the uh, the person who tends to be comfortable um addressing the elephant in the room or the issues that no one else is um really comfortable talking about or sometimes at least it, it my perspective is people just need to be shaken up a little bit. And um, so I like to, I'm, you know, I'm never a jerk. I'm never um, mean, but sometimes it's, it's nice to just um, present things and talk about things in a way that wakes people up either through humor or um, borderline sarcasm, you know, not, not too, not too much, but a little bit of sarcasm. And so I guess, provocateur, in my mind, is someone who provokes. And uh, and hopefully what I'm provoking is positive, but inevitably provoking thought, no matter what.
0: Well, lovely. And I saw you had a provocative a blog post recently. Is it okay to say boobies at work? Where's the
1: jury? Where'd they come out on that one? A couple of HR departments where they came out was no. And, <laughs> that was my guess. That was and, my guess. And not even okay to write about it. Not not even okay to ask the question. So. The ultimate intent of of that post or that article was more, what are the standards of behavior, standards of, of language, and how real can we be? And not that I expect that you know what we say or how we say it at work is going to be as casual as what we say in you know some other environment like a a social environment, but I th- I do think sometimes we get so careful in the work environment, and we scrub our communication, we scrub our personalities, and it's almost like we check a part of ourselves at the door. Then we come to work, we do our job, and then. When we we leave, then we pick up that real part of ourselves, And, and unfortunately, I think that that oftentimes leads to less productive employees, people who, you know, you wonder why aren't people as engaged as we'd like them to be? Well, maybe part of it is they don't feel like they can truly bring their full selves to the workplace. You know
0: that resonates with me and, and indeed we had uh, dr. Todd it uh, back in episode thirteen said some of those same messages associated with being able to reveal a little bit more of yourself and how that really goes a long way with folks
1: and of course you you never want to overtly offend somebody or overtly be crass obviously not but at the same time, I do think we've entered an age where people are a little thin-skinned when it comes to workplace communication and it's amazingly easy for some someone to decide ooh i've been offended i've been wronged and you are the source of of me being wronged and and you shall be corrected oh
0: you shall be that's intense Well, so that's, we could probably talk back and forth about that for quite a while, but you've got a wealth of, seems like some real useful, actionable strategies and tactics encapsulated in your book, Workplace Poker. Are you playing the game or just getting played? And so I've got several questions about that, but do you want to kind of lay that metaphor out for
1: us up front? What's up with the Workplace Poker title? Well, I'll I'll do that, Pete. Now, I'm a little concerned because... I have followed your blog, I've read your blog, and your overall purpose is to help people get better at their jobs and help people do better work and and, and become really good at their jobs, which is fantastic, absolutely taking nothing away from that, but the essence of Workplace Poker, the book, and the overall, I guess, mindset behind it is that you can do a great job, you can have fantastic skills, and keep honing your skills, getting better and better and better and better and still not achieve the level of professional growth, the career acceleration that you're hoping for, that you're striving for. And then sometimes as you're pushing, 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 almost like a hamster on a hamster wheel, you get frustrated when you look at others who don't seem to be as skilled, who don't seem to be working as hard, or in other ways just aren't earning it the way you feel you're earning it. And some of their career trajectories take off. and. Until you peel it apart and begin to analyze why does that happen, it can drive people nuts. You can start Mm -hmm. to feel like it's just not fair. The world isn't fair. Work isn't fair. And then you lose your motivation to keep improving your skills because it – you know, who wants to do that? It's like the ultimate insane asylum. I keep trying to get better, but other people who maybe aren't trying as hard as I am seem to be doing better. Well, what's up with that? Oh well, boy, it's a good thing we've got you to fill in the gaps. <laughs> well, the way I, I I generally introduce it as a concept for for people is uh, is I talk about two different dynamics in the workplace: the cooperative dynamic and the competitive dynamic, and the cooperative dynamic is one that everyone's comfortable talking about. We want you to be a team player. We want you to work well with others. We want you to help people. We want other people to help you. And we want us to be in this together. And so that's why you see so many motivational posters. There's no I in team. Uh, You know, We all need to be rowing in the same direction. You don't see any posters that say there's no team in promotion but in reality there is no team in promotion i mean
0: no there's no a or e <laughs> we
1: we give promotions to a person an individual so who do we decide to give you know a, a promotion to or decide to in a, in some other way highlight and there does come a point in time where there is a competitive dynamic at work and that competitive dynamic exists every single day along with the cooperative dynamic even though we like to say businesses like family or should be like a family. It's not. Business is not family. I don't know of any families where someone comes to you one day and says, you know, we've been reevaluating our priorities and I'm sorry, little Bobby, but we're just going to have to let you go. Oh, poor Bobby. Yeah. What's he going to do? Yes. So, (laughs) so we have to accept the reality And, and it's not bad. See, I think part of what happens is people, when I start talking like this, they start to feel like, Oh no, that's awful. No, it's it's not. Business is not family. There is a competitive aspect to employment. In fact, I, I heard a great story uh, a, a while back where a lady that I met, she was telling me that she had a roommate in college who uh, was not the greatest student. The lady I was talking to was a, was a 4.0 student. And she'd done really well. They both were were accounting majors. And when they were seniors and they began interviewing for serious jobs uh, toward the end of their senior year, the lady that I was speaking with, her name was Megan. She was interviewing for some of the same jobs her roommate was. and And in the end, they both got nice jobs, but she said she was surprised because her roommate landed a really sweet job with a great company where it was clearly growing. There was lots of growth potential. And it was, she didn't think too much about it. It was a little annoying. You know, she she even said, you know, I wondered, you know, what did she do to get that job beyond just, you know, good interviews and, but they kind of went their separate ways. And years later, five, six, seven years later, they reconnected and they uh, started spending a little bit of social time together. And one evening they were at the apartment of the, of the woman who hadn't been such a great student and, what Megan was noticing was that the apartment was really nice. Furnishings really nice. It was very, it was just very clear that the last six or seven years had been really good to her. And as they began sharing stories or sharing stories about what was going on with their work, it was clear to Megan that her roommate not only had landed a great job, but it had had a lot of growth potential and Megan was doing okay, but not, nearly as as well and at a certain point the way she told it to me she said they'd had a couple glasses of wine they were relaxed they'd they'd done a few things in the last few weeks so they were kind of okay with each other and she finally just said you know i gotta ask what happened you know how did you land that that job and the roommate her name was janelle she said um Well, let me show you something and she went to a closet she brought out a a portfolio that she had used in her job interviews and it was a portfolio where Janelle had taken um, records from her days as a as a Girl Scout, where she was selling cookies, and she had won some awards for cookie sales and she had kept a spreadsheet from hmm. back then of, of, of her cookie sales. And then uh, oh, on, as, a, as a swimming, uh, she, when she was on the swim team, she had a spreadsheet of how she tracked her time and how that, uh, that helped her improve. And then she had documentation from some of the social clubs that she was part of in college. And to make a long story short, she had like a two-inch binder that she'd created, which highlighted all kinds of things that she had done that were relevant to the position she was going after. And the point of the story though came next because Megan said to her, "Well, this is great. Why didn't you share this with me then?" Hmm. And uh, and Janelle said, "Well, to be honest, you're the reason I put this together because I knew I was going to be interviewing at some of the same companies, and if I'm going to be competing against 4.0 Megan, which is what we called you behind your back." I knew I needed to have something. So that, so I had, I, this was my leverage. This was my way to, 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 to compete. And the lesson Megan took away from that was, man, you know, even with someone who you think is, they were roommates, they, they swapped boyfriends. They, they, I mean, they were as close as you could expect young women to be. And, and yet there was still a competitive aspect when push comes to shove. And so what I tell people is it's not bad it is human nature.
0: Oh, I see. Well, well, that's a you we. Know, I actually really appreciate that story because I thought, oh man, is is Dan? Where's this going to go? Where's is it going to be like there's a dark turn of we stab you in the back four point oh, Megan? But but no, just like Janelle just did a fine job of documenting every accomplishment throughout her. Uh, life trajectory along the way and that 's just a good best practice so so that 's encouraging to hear is that you 're not advocating you know take him out at the knees, but rather no. you know, be smart you know and get your act together and make yourself make sure that you 're shining in the best light possible
1: well and I even had uh, the CEO of a company read the book and he came back to me and, and he said, You know, I would feel great if everyone in my company read this because when you look at the accumulated set of practices." they're all positive. They're all ethical. They're actually all really good habits for people to have. Even the habits of self-promotion. I have a whole chapter on self-promotion, which when people hear that term, uh, man, you think, um, oh, you think Donald Trump, you know, blowhard, <laughs> blow you think P.T. Barnum, you think, oh, someone tooting their own horn. And yet, in reality, in the workplace, if someone is tooting their own horn too loudly in a way that's not realistic, not fair, not accurate, it actually works against them. The worst thing you can be in the workplace is someone who is known as a self-promoter or known as a horn tutor because the moment you kind of get flagged as that, what people will do without, without ever saying it, number one, they'll discount what they do hear about you So when they hear good things or they hear you say good things, they immediately chop off 50% of the validity Mm -hmm. because they assume you're overdoing it or overstating it. But secondly, people will actually work against you. They won't mention your name when something comes up in conversation. They may actively keep you on the sidelines or not involve you in projects because they feel like you'll suck up all of the credit if the project goes well. And if it doesn't go well, you'll be one of those people who quickly scurries toward the door to make sure you don't get uh, hanged with a, a non-successful project. So instead what I did is I reached out to people who I knew were effective self-promoters who didn't have that reputation. And I wanted to know, so how do you, how do you do it? What are some of the subtle ways that you promote your work that you that you highlight your capabilities and the portfolio is one great example particularly if you are interviewing for jobs but even even if you're not interviewing for jobs when if you come into a performance review at the end of the year and you actually have documented the key things that you've done from January all the way forward, you know, the, the way it really works for most managers, they get to December or January, and they've got to do these annual performance reviews. Mm-hmm. Scratching their head. Oh, and it's overwhelming. And it's, it's, oh, they just don't. And, and I get it. Everyone's busy. They've got a lot of stuff going on. Nobody remembers January or February of the previous year. But if you come in, and you have documented reminders of, projects that you've worked on, things that you've done, even it can be as simple as, you know, if you put a little extra time into a PowerPoint presentation back in January, either printing it out or having it available so that you can remind whoever is giving you your performance review of the key things that you've done. It's amazing how much power that has. And you're much more likely to get, if either bonuses are being allocated or raises are being allocated, If you can go from getting a 3% raise to a 4.5% raise, that may not seem like a lot, but if you do that every year for five years or 10 years, that accumulated difference can be significant. Oh, yeah. yeah. And more important than just those dollars, by highlighting your contributions, I think it reinforces in your manager's mind that you're a player. You are someone who's bringing your A game to the table, as opposed to the person who comes in and sits down and is perfectly fine. But basically, is expecting the manager to drive the discussion and to remember everything. It's not bad. It just isn't as um, effective as you taking charge. Most managers really appreciate that you're putting in the heavy mental work because they have a lot of other things to be focusing on.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I, that reminds me of something we heard from Kara Eschbach in episode 18. I guess I'm self promoting here too. <laughs> Yeah, I have a quick study, Dan. Thank you. Um, But she was talking about in the performance review cycles, indeed, you also want to get some kind of a leg up or some advance notice uh, going out there because sometimes by the time you sit down and talk about the document, it may be too late. So I'm loving that idea of presenting those things at your performance review, but even more so figuring out the timeline associated with who's talking what about your performance and ensuring it gets to those people at the right time.
1: Absolutely. If you know the culture in your business is the quote unquote performance review is actually the point where we just tell you what we've decided, mm-hmm. then you've got to back that up and know when are those decisions being made and and essentially create your pre-performance review engagement, whatever that might be, whatever the right timing might be. I also spoke with a guy who um, who said that when he was laying out his various projects for, for the year. He always, because um, January was performance review time, he always made sure that he had some kind of high profile project that was likely to generate some, you know, some positive recognition in November and December, because (laughs) he wanted, if you do your best work in January, oh you know a year later no matter how good it was it it just loses some of its oomph so he said he, this had been part of his strategy for over 5 years where when they were laying out their objectives for the coming year and the various things he was going to work on he always tried to think of something that was going to be kind of a high impact quick hit project that he could he knew he could do it he knew he could complete it he knew it was going to be a little bit you know different and get some recognition and again it was something he had never shared that strategy with anyone mm. until, until he and I started talking. And even when we were initially talking, uh, he, he was hesitant because I think a lot of the um, non-obvious self-promoters—they're not exactly comfortable acknowledging that they have these strategies, no, right? But they do have them now. He, and he did—he did say eventually. he Said, you know, the thing is. This isn't going to work for me if everyone start in, in my uh-huh. business starts doing <laughs> That's true. it. That's And we agreed, uh, but in in the end, he allowed me to use the the particular technique or or include it as one of the self promotion tips. Another thing I heard from a, a lady was uh, again these are these are subtle things that can be used every week, sometimes every day. They're not the big, huge blowout ideas. But she said to me, she noticed a while back that. Some people, when it comes to business meetings or conference calls or webinars, when you've got your team together, she said most people are not comfortable stepping forward, sharing a distinct new idea. She said Mm -hmm. most people, if you watch carefully, what they're comfortable doing is either echoing someone else's idea or refining someone else's idea. So she said, I noticed that if I had a new idea that I shared or a particular perspective that I shared, it was amazing how often then throughout the meeting people would say, well, like she said, I think this is good and we should do this. And she recognized early on that the person who really gets credit is the person who initiates the thought. Even if it's a thought that people ultimately don't agree with. Being the person who steps forward and initiates is mu- is a much better self-promotion strategy than just, just saying, yeah, yeah, I agree with what she said, and maybe we can improve it in this way. And it was such a subtle thing, but then I, I started watching in, in my world of work, and she was absolutely right. The self-promoters, mm-hmm. the effective ones, were people who put themselves on the line a little bit. That's right. And it didn't even always have to be an idea that people jumped on board and said, oh, that's great. Sometimes being the person who's willing to share a thought or an idea, and in the end, everyone goes, yeah, you know what? Thanks. Probably not going to work for us. And then we move on. You still are better off in terms of self-promotion. Then you're better off than the other three or four people who picked your idea apart because, anyone can pick an idea apart. It's the one who's willing to at least put it forward in the first place that gets a little bit of subtle self-promotion credit.
0: Oh, that's good. And I think if you can just let it go with humility and grace as well, you get some extra points. Absolutely. Like, oh yeah, fair enough. Didn't think about that. Thank you.
1: And have that sense of how much to defend your idea because you don't want your idea just to die because of misunderstanding or because people don't get it. But at a certain point, once you realize, okay, they do get it, I've communicated it clearly, and it's just not its not working. It's not resonating. You let it go, and you let it go graciously. And then sometimes you decide strategically, I'm letting it go, but I'm putting it back in my pocket because I think there is a there is a reason to do this, but I'm going to be sensitive about how I bring it up the next time because you don't want to be – Perceived as that, per- like like a dog with a bone, who just went, right. oh man, every meeting one moment, hit wonder. Yeah, the <laughs> moment we mention X, we can count on hearing Y and Z from him or Y and Z from her. Oh yeah, and you can't just you can't just say I'm not going to play politics because it's distasteful. Well, it's kind of like sitting at a poker table. Your chips are on the table. Someone's putting your chips in the pot every hand, like it or not. Your chips are going away. You can't just sit there and fold your arms and saying. Well, I'm not going to play. Uh, right? The lines the, the
0: the will eat you alive. Absolutely. You talk about the strategic piece in terms of how you're investing your your time and energy, and how you're when you're putting forth the idea. And I like that November idea as well because, in a way, you know, we can endure kind of a sprint for a short period of time, so long as we know there's a a little bit more relaxed or downtime. Coming, and so you could even kind of plan that in your calendar with your your family and such. Like, hey, you know, let's not plan any big trips or anything over the weekends in November because I'm I'm really making some moves on this thing. So I like that. In your book, you suggested that you have some perspective on how to go about achieving the high energy, both mental and physical, necessary to drive an exceptional career trajectory. I am always craving more energy. So Dan, what do you have for us there?
1: Well. So I should first say there is in the chapter on energy in terms of actual tips and strategies, there's probably nothing new there that many or most of us haven't heard before.
0: Are you telling me I should
1: put my phone
0: down an hour before bed?
1: You probably should and you've probably heard that you know fourteen times before, and you should drink more water and you should have more fiber and you should exercise more and you should take time to to dial down and all, all of the all of those things and so you have to ask yourself, well why don't people do it then and that's the real value in the chapter is understanding if there are these things that you know you should be doing and you're not well let 's let 's get some clarity around why you 're not and then what the cost of that is, because when you can finally help someone see here is what that extra twenty pounds is actually costing you not just in terms of energy but in terms of your personal brand and the way you 're perceived in terms of your mental acuity and I share a fair number of stories of people who have who have faced the hard truth of what it's costing them in terms of the low energy the low mental energy emotional energy physical energy because i find when i talk to people one on one about these issues related to workplace politics human dynamics and the the thinking and engagement required to, to do it well one of the common responses is oh man i i don't want to work that hard i don't no. you know what? it's it's hard enough just to do my job you mean i have to do my job And I have to think about all of this. And it floored me until I began to think about it more deeply and realize what they're really saying is that they don't have the mental energy to do all of this. And yet the people who I have met who really do this very well and and very naturally, they would say to you, it doesn't really require that much more, maybe a little more mental energy, but really you can sit in a business meeting and you can mentally check out because you're bored Mm -hmm. or you can mentally engage, but only at the surface level and, you know, make sure you're reading the PowerPoint slides or you can engage more deeply and read the PowerPoint slides, listen to the presentations and watch the people and how they're interacting with each other. And over time develop that baseline understanding of who does what in what way, because one of the keys for reading people in the workplace is not, like trying to be a, like a, a carnival trickster where you instantly read someone and uh-huh. you instantly know everything about them. No, it's the real key is to over time, observe what people are like, who shows up on time for meetings, who shows up late, who doesn't show up, how do they communicate? And a whole, I list a whole bunch of things in the book. and And essentially by noticing these things, you develop a baseline and you get a deeper understanding of who people are, how they communicate, and you're able then to notice when that baseline changes. The person who used to never share in meetings, who suddenly starts piping up and sharing his thoughts or ideas or vice versa or other ways that the baseline has changed, the person mm-hmm. who used to greet you warmly, who now is um, yeah, just sort of sort of flat. All of those subtleties, I had a, a lady talk to me three weeks ago. She said that um, she'd been suddenly laid off and it was uh, it was a complete shock. There was absolutely no way to have predicted it, except after she read the book and she began thinking, she realized that for two months, there had been a change in the behavior of certain people. And she had just, she'd noticed it in the way that she was being treated, in the projects she was being assigned, in the work. But it was only in hindsight that she said, oh, I realize now what was happening is they had had a contraction in the business. They were looking to reduce costs and they had to, they eliminated a a number of highly compensated positions, hers included. And she said, now, as I look back, I probably could have seen it coming sooner, which would have given me two months more time to look for new work or might have given me time to sell myself better internally if I'd been paying closer attention. So I do think that when people, develop or have the, ento- the, the energy, both physical and mental and emotional, to focus on these things in the workplace. In the end, it becomes almost like just a natural part of you and doesn't feel like you're doing anything extra. But I would say the one thing that's most mentally draining for people in the workplace is the judgments that they place on other people. Once, when you decide that uh, so-and-so is a jerk, or you decide on, on the positive side, so-and-so has my back, so-and-so is my colleague or my buddy my friend, or this person is incompetent, or this person is abrasive and insensitive. It's very difficult to read people well if you're judging them at the same time. And one of the metaphors that I, I use in the book is Jane Goodall as an example. If you remember Jane Goodall, the in, the, in the 70s and 80s, she did the the, the studies of chimpanzees and and other apes. And she was she was an observer in the wild who would what she was known for was getting very close to chimpanzee colonies, but then simply sitting and observing. And if you read her journals, she observed and noted some really horrendous behavior, mm-hmm. along with re- really good behavior as well and intelligent behavior. But she observed Killing, uh, stealing the children of other chimpanzees, killing of other chimpanzees, <laughs> the chimpanzee version of rape. But all of it was dutifully noted and objectively described without judgment. And and I'm not saying in the workplace we should view each other as apes, but if you notice that someone has this tendency to just be abrasive, no matter what. Whether it's disagreement or not, he's just abrasive. Rather than judge him, step back and ask better questions and try to discern what drives that, what might drive that. You may get the answer, you may not. But by setting the judgment aside, you're much more likely to actually see him and crack his code a little bit than if you're just saying, man, what a jerk. I don't want to ever have to deal with with him if I can help it. But the the same is true on the positive side. When you start deciding I'm really impressed by this person, I can really trust this person, I'm really attracted to this person, you start to lose some of your objectivity as well. And I'm not saying you can't have critical or positive assessments of people. All I'm saying is in terms of reading them, the biggest skill and the toughest thing for some people in terms of mental energy is the energy required to set your emotions aside for a bit and to set your judgments aside for a bit. When you can do it and just observe the chimpanzees in the the corporate setting, it's amazing what you see and how the real world of work opens up for you. Uh, One good example, I I have a colleague who I know, he taps his pen. I figured it out a while ago. He taps his pen on the table when he's thinking about something. When someone has said something and he's thinking, he doesn't do it loudly. It's just a little little tapping thing. And once I realized, okay, that's like your thinking finger or your thinking pen. And when that's moving, I know you're processing something. It's a little thing, but it's just cool then to realize, okay, he'll. I'll watch him in a presentation and there'll be nothing, nothing, nothing. And then suddenly something will pop up on a slide and his little pen will start to tap ever so slightly. And I'll realize, okay, Whatever was on there, it grabbed him and he's still processing it even as the presentation moves on. So it helps me read what's grabbing him and and also helps me read what's boring him. And over time, you just learn to notice more and more of those little ticks that help you crack the code of the individuals in the workplace. Oh, that's fun. Thank you. And so I'm thinking to the energy point,
0: if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying there's that game underneath the game. It requires a little bit of extra mental energy, but most people don't feel they can spare it. Therefore, even a tiny upgrade to your energy can have dramatic impacts on your career trajectory. Is that a fair synopsis? It is. Okay. Thank you for that. Well, the, I, I think we could go on for many minutes, but in, in the interest of having a reasonable episode length, I might just ask is there anything you really want to make sure we cover before we kind of shift gears and move into the fast faves?
1: Yeah, I think the one thing I want people to know more than anything else is workplace poker is the book is about so much more than just office politics. That seems to be the sexy part that grabs people's attention. And it's an important part, but it really is all about human dynamics in the workplace, both the external dynamics with others and the internal dynamics with yourself. How do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with failure? And it's all designed to help someone accelerate their career trajectory and hopefully when things do go wrong to recover more quickly and to move on and keep moving upward as rapidly as possible.
0: Great. Thank you.
1: All right. Well, let's kick it off. Could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Favorite quote of all time is, if you're committed enough and creative enough, there's always a way.
0: And a favorite study or piece of research or experiment you cite often?
1: Well, the most recent one is there was research done that indicated that executives who have a negative attitude toward office politics and personal dynamics in the office over the course of their career earned 22% less than executives who have a positive attitude toward it. It had nothing to do with competency. It was simply, Hmm. how do you think about this in the workplace? So I think just adjusting how we think about Human dynamics in the workplace. Clearly, it has an impact not only on our success, but on our income.
0: Oh, fascinating. And 22 is my number. Do we know <laughs> who did that or where we can find that?
1: It was a frontline learning survey, and it's available at the frontlinelearning.com website. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book? There is a book that's out of print, but I think it's still available online, like in a Kindle version. The book is called Mastery. The name of the author is George Leonard. It is a small book, a quick read but it is a great book that focuses on how do people truly get better at complex skills over time? Because what happens to a lot of people is they'll start working on something and then they'll feel like I'm not getting better. I'm not getting better. I'm not getting better. But in fact, they are getting better. It's just that they're getting better at such a subtle level. It takes a while before they suddenly see a burst of improvement, whether it's playing the guitar or practicing a martial art or learning a particular human skill. I read this book 20 years ago and what I took away from it is the sense that, okay, decide the important things to learn and keep working on them even if you're not seeing external evidence of getting better. Keep working, keep working because you are getting better and it'll take a while before that burst of external evidence comes out. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite website or
0: online resource?
1: Okay, I just have to say WorkplacePoker.com. It is... It's a great resource where I'm constantly posting the latest research, latest examples, interesting ideas, all dedicated toward the game under the game. How do you help people accelerate their careers by playing the human dynamics game? Okay, noted. And uh, a favorite tool or gadget software trick? Evernote is something where I can always quickly capture things and always then have those available you know, on all of my various technology screens.
0: Oh, great. How about a favorite uh, truth bomb or nugget, something you share gets Amazon highlighted, retweeted, Uh, heads nodded.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Workplace politics is a lot like sex. If it's making you or others uncomfortable, you're probably doing it wrong. You're a a workplace provocateur. (laughs) (laughs) And how about ideal way to find you? Again, I'd say WorkplacePoker.com. That's how you found me. You went to the site and we make it real easy on every page just to to reach out to me directly. So I'm on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with anybody on LinkedIn. I'm an undiscerning LinkedIn connector. You just, you want to connect with me. I'm happy to connect with you and uh, WorkplacePoker.com.
0: And is there kind of a final parting word or challenge or call to action you'd like to leave folks with?
1: Yeah, I would say um, make it fun. That's the other thing that was really important to me with the book is that this whole topic can become kind of dour because people talk about how they were wronged and all the various hard stuff or challenging stuff that they faced And I like to keep it light and fun and amusing, even though we're talking about a serious thing. And even though being taken advantage of or being wronged in the workplace can feel tough sometimes, just keep it light. Because I think we're much, most of us, we're just much better off, much more productive, much more effective. We learn better. Everything is better when we can just keep it light and fun.
0: All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much. It's been a real treat having you. And I wish you all the best of luck here.
1: The feeling is totally mutual. Thanks,
0: Pete. Enjoy that conversation. You're ready to take a couple steps to be competitive in a positive, uplifting, smart way of presenting yourself well and reaping those benefits. And again, to check out the show notes, transcript and things linked, you can find that at your dot com slash app two five. See you next time.